Welcome to IVP's Hypergrowth Podcast. In this series, we talk with CEOs of the fastest growing companies and discuss the ins and outs of company building in the hypergrowth environment. If you like what you hear, consider following us on SoundCloud or subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks and enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone. I'm Tom Lavero, an investor at IVP. On today's podcast, we are joined by Eric Ray, co-founder and CEO of Podium, and Adam Edmonds, president of Podium. Podium is a next-generation customer communications platform for local businesses. Podium was recently named one of Forbes' next billion-dollar startups and was just named one of Fast Company's world's most innovative companies. Podium grew from a million in run rate revenue in 2015 to 60 million in 2018. And for those of you keeping score at home, it's pretty fast, especially for a company that burned very little capital to get there. The company is headquartered in Lehigh, Utah, and has over 400 employees. And IVP had the privilege of leading Podium Series B in June of 2018. Eric is a graduate of BYU and former software engineer at the International Atomic Energy Agency. He co-founded Podium in 2014, entered Y Combinator in January 2016, raised a Series A in 2017, and he hasn't looked back since. Adam is a graduate of BYU as well and was formerly the founder and CEO of a customer feedback platform that was successfully acquired. He had joined Podium in January of 2016. Welcome, Eric and Adam. Thanks for joining us today. Let's start off by briefly explaining what Podium is in plain English. Uh, So maybe first question, who buys your software and why? Yeah, so that's a good question. We started out selling to single location local businesses, uh, like tire shops, dentists, doctors, car dealerships. Um, we, so that, that's still who buys our product today. What's happened over the last few years is we've realized that uh, there are really, really big local businesses as well. And so now we have customers like massive hospital groups that have hundreds of hospitals throughout the United States. We have car dealership groups that have hundreds and hundreds of car dealerships across the United States and Europe. And so that's kind of the mix of who we sell to. Like Eric mentioned, we, um, we started selling to individual locations. And we, we never really set out in the early days to say, hey, we're going to go start selling to massive organizations. We just started to be organically pulled up into larger and larger uh, footprints. You know, we'd go sell to two or three car dealerships and the product just works so well that, you know, three months later, the corporate office would call us and say, hey, we want to buy this for um, every single one of our dealerships. And so it started, you know, where we start, you know, we would get a, um, a company with 50 locations and then 100. And, you know, like Eric said, now we have customers with uh, thousands of locations and international footprints. And that mix is now really, really um, even. And why were they buying the software? What, what does it do for these local businesses? So it it actually makes these businesses feel like a modern business to a consumer. So we have an, we call ourselves an interaction platform. And what that means is we make the experience between a, a customer who wants to maybe do business with you. Um, we make that seamless and, and convenient for both the consumer and the business. We help that experience once you become a customer, and then we help make it easy to become a return customer. And then we also help internally at these businesses we help the interactions between employees and their managers and make sure that basically they have the technology to compete in the modern economy because when we first started podium we realized i mean our main our main thesis was that local wasn't going away it was actually going to 
speed up and increase as time goes on. And they didn't have the technology to compete in the modern economy. So the whole reason we started Podium is my dad owned a tire shop all when I was growing up. And because I worked at the tire shop and had firsthand experience of my dad running it, I realized that there was this massive problem of these local businesses not having good technology to run their business. And that seemed like crazy because I knew that it wasn't a small market. I knew that there were millions and millions of businesses like my dad's and a lot bigger businesses like Adam talked about that, that didn't, serious, didn't have the technology to run a, a, a business in the 21st century. So uh, first started out Podium by helping them solve what we thought was the biggest problem they faced, which was discovery. Uh, we just noticed that as a consumer, when you when you need to get uh, your carpets cleaned or go to the hospital or buy a car, you go online and you find something that's local and close to you, but then you use reviews to make your purchase decision. And we have Amazon to thank for basically programming every consumer in the world to make decisions off of reviews. And so the first thing we did is we built this product that made it so easy for a business to get a review on a site that consumers use, like Google or Facebook, right in the moment through mobile. And that was our first product. And it it was probably one of the best, uh, fastest paths to product market fit that I think a lot of investors that we have have seen. It just became a fantastic product to sell and, and provided a ton of value to our customers from day one. Why did these businesses like having reviews is it just an ego thing or can they tie it to some roi in their business and how does podium enable that um it's a, a lot of reasons including what both that you just mentioned there it, it actually it's funny it is an ego thing i remember when we launched our com- our competitive product a few years ago or a competitive feature where they could benchmark themselves against five you know if you're a car dealership, pick five dealerships around you, and the the GMs and the sales managers just loved and became obsessed with that little feature. So that's part of it. But ultimately, people come to us and they they believe and know and can see very quickly an ROI around reviews open up at the top of the funnel for them. And all of these discovery sites, um, you know, they're spending all of this money on advertising. And ultimately, that's just going to drive consumers to research um, them online. And if you look poorly there, uh, they just inherently know that people aren't going to convert. They're not going to. They're not going to come into the store. They're not going to try and contact one of your sales reps. Um, and so that's what kind of drives. And it's a, it's an emotional thing. You know, you talk to any business owner, and they'll tell you about the last negative re- review that they received. And you know, from the early days, you know these these people we sell to, they're trained to sell cars and fill cavities and. Um, you know, install solar panels. They aren't marketing experts. When you say, hey, this will help you unlock the top of the funnel for them, they don't really even know what that means. They just know they need more inbound customer leads. Um, and then once they get someone in the shop, they know how to take it from there. And that's what that reviews product has, has always done. It does it better than um, really, you know, any other marketing spend that they do. And uh, in the early days, I'll just add on, when we were first raising money, we actually found it hard to to make to help investors make that connection that reviews were so important. So one thing we did as a way to make that connection for them is we talked to them about that that website that used to be kind of popular called The Funded. Do you remember that, Tom? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we'd be like, hey, uh, how does how does uh, Excel look on The Funded? And every partner would be like, oh, that website sucks. Somebody, you know, <laughs> they just, they leave a bad review when you don't fund them. And it's not because we're bad. And then we're like, yeah, so 
Think about how you feel about your presence on the funded, and then that's how local business owners feel about their presence on Google and Facebook. And then what makes this problem even more complicated and complex is there are like 15 sites, depending on what vertical you're in, that you have to actually show up and have a presence on. So you help by um, getting these reviews, and you started off, as you said, helping your dad do this with his tire shop. At some point, you decided to raise some money, and you applied to Y Combinator. Why did you do that? And ultimately, why did you decide to move to the Bay Area for a period of time? Yeah, so like we said, we started with this very simple product that solved a really important problem for these businesses. And what we realized really quickly was, yeah, reviews is super important. It helps, it helps open up the marketing funnel or the lead funnel for these businesses. It's the, it's the first point of, of discovery for most of these businesses. But there is so much more to solve for these businesses. Like the communication with leads was huge. The communication with their customers, the how to schedule an appointment, how to collect a payment, how to communicate internally with your employees. Like we realized when we would go into these our customers' businesses and see how they ran their business, like Adam said, they're amazing at fixing cars and, and filling cavities and selling homes or doing surgeries, but they're not good at all of these other things that make a business successful. And so we realized that the problem that we the problem we could solve was about a hundred times bigger than just this reviews problem. And so once we realized that we knew we needed to raise capital because we knew this is a big problem and that somebody was going to solve it and, and be a winner. And then we applied for Y Combinator because we had been a Paul Graham disciple ever since we started podium. It was the reason we, you know, like from the beginning, the reason we focused on products so much is because we read Paul Graham's essays and that's all he talks about is like, just go build something people love and then try and get into as many people's hands as possible. And so when we, when the opportunity came up to go to Y Combinator, we, we applied, we flew out, we were sitting in the room, my co-founder Dennis and I in at Y Combinator, and we were, we were sitting in the room with a bunch of other companies that were there to interview. And the guys on our right were MIT uh, electrical engineers or, or, working on some AI thing. The guys on our left were from the Russian version of MIT and other guys were from Stanford across the table. And we're like, oh, uh, yeah, we're from Utah. And uh, we went to BYU <laughs> and thought there's no way we're getting in. And so we went in, did our interview, um, got out and kind of like right before we boarded the plane to go back to Utah, got a call from the partner there, Aaron Harris. And he said, you guys are in, we want you to come out. And it was a no brainer for us. And so then we moved out, we moved our entire engineering and product team out to the Bay Area for three months and lived in a house together. And it was a fantastic time where we really accelerated the product. So ultimately you had this founding team and you, I think it was January um, of 2016 or so, maybe you brought on Adam onto the team and Adam had some operating experience. So I just would love to hear a little bit about the relationship between a CEO and a president at a startup and also just how you two met and how you get, you know, how you made the decision, Eric, to bring Adam on. Yeah. So this, this was like the real turning point for Podium. So Adam and I got introduced through one of our seed investors from Utah. We went to lunch uh, this barbecue place. I remember it vividly because Adam was wearing a visor, which I had never seen. I hadn't seen somebody wear one in person for years and years and years. 
and we make fun of them for it to this day. Oh, no way. They made fun of me behind my back for about a year or so before they finally came clean and, and admitted that they'd been making fun of me, but I thought I looked awesome. We called him Visor Guy for about the first six <laughs> months that we knew him. Anyway, um, no, we, we met Adam, and we hit it off right from the get-go because Adam's experience was in, in this, um, this customer experience company that he had started and run for about seven years, and it, had, it was very closely tied to what we were doing, but we had such a unique twist on it that I think it, it intrigued Adam as well. And so we met in June of 2015, and then we just kind of got his advice for about six months, and he attended a board meeting, I remember. Mm-hmm. And then you know, later in 2015, he approached us and said, guys, I think you have a winner here, and I want to help you guys build this. And it was a no-brainer for us. We, we said, we, we were like, this is fantastic. Adam has the experience. He has the go-to-market knowledge. He has the finance background. Like, let's do this. And I think the reason we've always been so open to to welcome experts that have way more experience than us into Podium is because we really do believe that this can be a a $50 billion company, $100 billion company. We think that this problem is so big and there, you know, that it makes up 38% of the GDP. So I, we're not lying when we say it's a huge opportunity, but we're so confident in that that we realized we needed experts that knew more than us that had experience and things that we didn't to make it work. And so Adam joined and basically 2016 was the transition of Podium from a good product with an okay go-to-market motion to a good product with an amazing go-to-market motion. And I would say that is, that's made all the difference. Adam, what does a president do at a high-growth startup? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's good to even rewind to, you know, how I came into the company. You know, I never, I never thought I'd work at a company I didn't start myself, um, and, you know, of all of the hundreds of entrepreneurs I've, I've met over the years, I never once ever considered that. Um, but what I think made it work and what it kind of allowed us to figure out these two roles over the last few years is that Eric and Dennis were always super humble. When I, when, when I joined full-time, actually, none of us really even had titles. It was kind of a, hey, let's figure this thing out. Um, and the way that's evolved, you know, to answer the question is, you know, I spend my time, um, you know, more on the the go-to-market side. Um, I've got a master's of accounting, although I never actually had a job as an accountant. Um, so I've always kind of been able to help out on kind of that finance side and maybe, um, you know, a bit of the legal stuff that I'd seen before. And But there's, um, you know, and then Eric's got this, like, crazy passion about the vision and where we're going and the product and this drive for perfection and this, like, unrelenting will that, um, you know, you know, you can't um, fake that you can't bring in someone from the outside and, and fake that. And so, you know, that's just what's driven it over the last few years. And, you know, there's honestly been parts of the, the different departments or different areas of the business that depending on how other areas are going, we've kind of passed back and forth to each other. Um, so it's still a, it's still a fluid relationship. Yeah. Um, just, just this week, we, we have transitioned our business development function from reporting directly to me to reporting to Adam because We've, it was really product focused for the last two years. And we realized this week that uh, it's, it's now very, very connected to our go-to-market motion and it fits better in Adam's, uh, Adam's part of the business. So we just made that switch and everybody's, you know, everybody's open to that. We, we tell everybody on the executive team and in the entire company that we're still figuring things out and this is a dynamic, fluid organization. And so I think that's been hugely 
positive for us. Yeah, and it's just worked from day one because uh, Eric's never had an ego about it. Like, um, and I don't think uh, you know I came in with any high expectations around titles or roles or I need to have this kind of an office or um, this type of. Uh, package just any of that kind of stuff. It was like, hey, let's just go build something really cool, and we'll figure this out together. And it's it's just been it's been awesome. So, so much of the podium story is about product market fit. So I'd love to turn to that topic. You used a really small amount of capital. I think just under three million dollars to get to that magical ten million of uh, run rate revenue of ARR in a very short period of time. Was that explicitly intentional? Did you both sit down in a room and say, hey, we don't want to raise lots of venture capital. You know, we want it to be uh, really efficient. We're not going to burn anything. Or did it, did it just happen organically? Was that an output? Well, I'll, I'll let Adam take this, but I'll just start it off with, we didn't know if we could raise venture capital in the early days. We knew we raised a little bit of money from some local seed funds in Utah, like in 2000, late 2014. And we kind of felt like we had tricked them in a lot of ways because it was just me and Dennis in the spare bedroom of my apartment. And then I remember doing a couple calls with some VCs out of the Bay Area. And then I remember we had one, uh, one anal- or I think an analyst from Bessemer or something actually come to Utah, probably not for us, but came to Utah and came up to our, our office that was in this attic above a bike shop. And the, the meeting went ho- like horribly. And so we thought, we don't know if we're going to be able to raise a ton more money. And so we've always been very, very capital efficient. But Yeah, and it was, Eric talked about that first board meeting I remember going to in 2015. And, you know, I think the company was at four or $500,000 of ARR. But you could tell at the, at the early, early onset that something was working here. Um, and you've seen this, Tom, any investor has seen this. But, you know, there's kind of different phases these startups go through of like that kind of getting zero to one million of proving product market fit. Then there's kind of this one to five of building some go-to-market. And then there's five to 20 where you actually have to build a company around it. But that that first zero to one is hard. And I remember in that board meeting in June of 15, and they were like four or 500. And I still remember they're like, we're going to get to a million dollars by the end of this year. And I just remember thinking like, okay, that's a good goal. But guys, I mean, you basically started at zero at the beginning of 15. To go from zero to one in a year is, is really rare, and you've, you only raised 500K. So, you know, let's, let's see if that's actually going to happen. Um, but then it just, they zoomed past it. I mean, just to, just to let you know how, how small the company was at that point. I remember when they were talking about those projections, and they said, we're going to have, there was this dip in July and I remember asking, well, what's the dip? Is that like a seasonality thing? And they said, no, our sales guy is going out of town for 10 days, so we're just expecting a dip right there. Um, like that's how small it was. But from the beginning, for how fast that zero to one million was happening on such little cash burn was, was crazy. And then ended up getting um, you know, well beyond that. I think you hit one million by September yeah. that year, like zoomed past it. So from the early, early days, you could tell that, that – it things were working really well. We hit one point eight by the end, by of, the end of the year. Yeah. So we went. We our goal is one. We hit one point eight. So we we thought, hey, something's working. I remember meeting you all in the summer of two thousand sixteen after the introduction from Aaron at Y Combinator, and you told me what your ARR was and what the projection was, and I actually just didn't believe it. I said these guys are naive, and you know. Obviously, you guys crushed it and continued to beat your projections. And IVP, uh, you know, invested in 
uh, June of 2018. And, you know, there's nothing like a company that actually throws up aggressive numbers and then hits them. Um, so, you know, at IVP, we have just a ton of respect for that incredible product market fit and the execution that's enabled it. Um, like, I, I'm curious, though, like, at what point did you know you had product market fit? Was, a, was it a qualitative thing? Was it a quantitative thing? Was it when you were at a million of ARR or 10? When did you start thinking this is more than just like a little business, you know, that we can flip someday? I think there's two two events that we that I can remember in my mind where we kind of knew we had something. Uh, the first was really early on when it was still just De- Dennis and myself in the spare bedroom of my apartment. And we had signed up probably 30 businesses just in our, our area because we would drive to the business and walk in and try and talk to the owner. So we had signed up about 30 businesses and the reviews started coming in. And then we started getting emails from our customers saying, hey, this is working. I had some lady drive down from 100 miles away on the weekend and bought a car from my dealership and she passed two other Honda dealerships on her way down. And the only reason she did that is she said that my online reviews were better than them. And that, and so I remember that really, really vividly and thinking, okay, this is important to these businesses. It works. We have something. How did you decide what to do after those reviews? We talked a fair amount about that first product in the early days. I just want to now touch on as you started growing how did you decide of all the things you could do on this platform next, what that next big product would be? Yeah, so that's the, that actually leads into the second thing is when we realized that we could get businesses of 10,000 reviews on all the different sites that people were discovering them on, but if we didn't help them actually convert those consumers into customers, that we weren't really going to be able to show them a full ROI. We weren't going to be able to attribute what we were doing to to their business. So we, we realized that that was such a bigger problem. And, and then we just kind of took a chance, right? Like I remember we just decided one day, we were probably at a, like a offsite with our executive team. We thought we need to build a messaging platform. We need to build a, an interaction platform because that is really the big problem. That is not reviews. Like I said, is, and today reviews is such a, uh, it's a, it's an important part of our business, but it's really not the reason people buy or stay with Podium. The reason people buy and stay with Podium is because we help them get customers and then we help them keep customers. And we can prove that. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the second event in my mind. And then we built it and we started launching it to our customers. And again, it was kind of that qual- that qualitative feedback where you launch something and people, you know, you don't even know if people are going to want to use it. And this is before we had a chief product officer. This is before we did a ton of research and and had a research part of our product team. So um, you just launch it and then you see what happens. And we started seeing these conversations happen between consumers and businesses. And we started seeing transactions happen. And that's when we knew we had something. That's awesome. Um, I want to turn now to talk about some things that you guys have done that are really different. Um, There's, I would say, at least two things about Podium that are really unconventional and that's not even counting the Canadian Slurpee machine in your lobby. Uh, first, you sell software to small businesses. Some are large and well-known, but many are pretty small. And a lot of folks in Silicon Valley would say, unless you're a self-serve product, just don't bother selling to anyone except a mid-market or large enterprise. How do you two react to that? 
Yeah, traditionally that is, you know, that's the thinking. Um, and, you know, theoretically it actually makes sense, but what we found here is it actually is the complete opposite. Um, you know, we actually met with a, a really large company in the Bay Area this week that's trying to, you know, add a self-service layer to what they're doing, and they're taking that same approach of we'll simplify the product, we'll make it so that you can sign up online and pay with a credit card, and they will come, and this is going to be easy. What we have found, I mean, you'd really have to, like, sit with one of our sales reps as they do a demo, but when you're, when you, especially for the, as when we started out early, when, you know, when, when we sell to the larger organizations today, it's going to be a, a more traditional enterprise sales cycle that you're used to, where you're selling to a CMO or a COO with a budget, and, you know, you're kind of running a sales process. Um, but when you're selling into the, the, the GM or the owner of that business, these people are running around all day long. They're not in front of their computers um, you know, right. they're, they're running 20 different trucks in their home services business. They're, um, you know, they've got employees all over the place. Getting them to sit and research a product, that's just not what they, what's not what they do. Um, you know, a lot of their current spend before we find them is they just pay outsourced agencies and consultants to do all this for them and just hope that they're acting in their best interest. And what we built here that is really unique is just an insanely efficient acquisition model from a lead generation marketing perspective all the way through qualifying leads, getting appointments set, um, and demoing the product that's you know very laser-focused kind of on the math throughout each of those steps. And what we found is it's really hard to sell the owner of a tire shop something unless you get that person on the phone and you have a chance to walk them through it. And like I said, unless you sit in a demo, it's it's hard to visualize a bit you know you sit in on a, a demo with a tire shop owner and he'll, he'll interrupt you four times to answer his other line and say yeah i've got those tires in stock or i don't like that's that's the day-to-day -day for um for these customers that we're selling so i think the next response from a typical silicon valley you know investor operator would be well what about churn isn't churn just make this really unattractive yeah that's all that's also the common thought right oh you're you're well you can sell to smbs but you can't keep them. Like they go out, like SMBs go out of business at a rate that's higher than you would want your software churn rate to be. So um, we also have a completely opposite view of that, and our experience proves it. So our retention is fantastic. Um, we've figured out the businesses that will be lifetime customers, and we figured out the ones that are probably a little too small to support the price of Podium. And then we've just been laser focused on the ones that are that are good targets for us. And then the most important thing is our product actually works. Like the product does the things that the business needs to get taken care of. And so if we're doing that and we're making them more money, there's no reason for them to ever cancel. So in terms of breaking convention, as I can attest, you're located in Lehigh, Utah, which is a place I'm sure a lot of our listeners have never heard of. And there are many investors in the Valley who say they won't get on a plane. So can you tell us a little about Lehigh and Utah more generally and why it's the right place for Podium? Yeah, so Lehigh, Utah is right in smack dab in the middle of Salt Lake City, where the University of Utah lo is located, and Provo, Utah, where BYU is located. So it's become kind of this little tech hub. It's where the Adobe headquarters is here. Uh, Oracle has moved here. You've got us, Domo, um, uh, Instructure just put another building here. A plural site is coming here. It's become, you know, really the, the tech hub of the community. And, um, you know, just Utah in general has just become an amazing ecosystem to start a business. When I think back to 15 years ago, when I started my first one, um, you know, 
there was very few companies to kind of look up to and pattern match off of. But, you, you know, you think now this, this ecosystem has been built, you know, first by maybe Novell and WordPerfect, and then you had companies like Omniture and Altiris come along, and then recent, you know, big successes like Pluralsight, like Qualtrics, like Domo and Structure have created just this great ecosystem where whether it's developers, product people, salespeople, marketers, there's now just this amazing workforce that's done and seen a few things before. Um, and then you've got great universities that are, you know, putting out really good, smart, hungry graduates that, you know, we can pull into a company like Podium and teach them a number of different things. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll just three things. I'm not from Utah. Like I said before, I'm from Canada. And there are three things that stick out to me. Number one, uh, cost of living is just incredible. Uh, I, have taught whenever I go to dinners in the Bay area with other tech companies, I tell them how much I paid for my five bedroom home with a two car garage. And they just like faint because it's how much they are. They paid for a studio apartment. Um, so that's fantastic. So low cost of living, high quality of life. We're next to the four of the best ski resorts in the world and, and arguably the best snow in the world. So, uh, we're 30 minutes from Snowbird, so we kind of have a rule that if it snows more than two feet, like you're kind of okay to go get a couple laps at a resort before coming in in the afternoon. And that's an amazing, uh, it's just an amazing place to be that I don't think exists anywhere. And then the third thing is we're next to so many national parks. Um, it's just It's just the nature here. The mountain biking is incredible. Do you feel like the perception of utah has changed just in the last few months or years are you guys getting more inbound either from talent or venture capitalists or bankers that was actually my third point uh we i'd say out of the last five senior hires we've made uh four of them have had multiple bay area candidates who have reached out because they're burnt out of the Bay Area, they can't afford a home for their family, and they want to move somewhere where they can own a home, be close to their kids, get up to the ski resorts, and Utah's a perfect place for that. So yeah, we've seen a ton of action there, and then we've seen a huge influx in like banks moving here, investors putting offices here. So yeah, I, I think it's huge. Hey guys, thanks so much. It's a really inspiring story. I also just love the, the early product market fit. And the fact that you guys did things a little bit differently and just figured it out as you went along and have built an incredible business. I really just want to thank you for taking some time today to be on the IVP Hypergrowth Podcast. For anyone interested in learning more about Podium, please visit Podium.com. Thanks again, guys. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you for listening to IVP's Hypergrowth Podcast. You can learn more about us on IVP.com. Or join the conversation on Twitter by tweeting at IVP.